Sci-Fi, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast cross-sections. Their mission, to explore new topics and create new content. And boldly go where no boys have gone before. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and joining me today is... Mark. Jason. Matt. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back. And today we are talking about the new miniseries, Devs. Uh, This show just finished its run on FX. I'm sure they'll replay it multiple times. Um, but if not, you could also find it on Hulu. Uh, Who knew? On um, on FX on Hulu. That's their official branding. That that's the branding. Okay, mm-hmm. FX on Hulu. Gotcha. You don't have to pay anything extra if you have Hulu. You have FX. Yep. Um, and thank the mouse for that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, mouse. <laughs> um, Hot dog. Oh fuck! They own FX now, don't they? Yeah, that's why they that's, that's why they moved it to Hulu because FX had their fuck own. Fuck me! FX man. had their own five bucks a month streaming service, that's and they right. moved them yeah. over to Hulu. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. FXX wasn't that like the skateboarding game, tricky snowboarding game? <laughs> FXX tricky. Sure. <laughs> it's not. Um, anyways, uh, before I get into all the little details of devs, though, I'm gonna throw it over to Ben Young for the news. All right. Uh, we got a couple uh, cool pieces of news for us first. Uh, yeah. First off, Deadline reports that Karen Gillan, Aaron Paul, and Jesse Eisenberg have signed on to the sci-fi thriller Duel. That's Duel with an A, not an E. Uh, from the director of The Art of Self-Defense, Riley Stearns. The movie follows a woman who, after receiving a terminal diagnosis, opts for a cloning procedure to ease her loss on her friends and family. When she makes a miraculous recovery, her attempts to have her clone decommissioned fail and lead to a court-mandated duel to the death. And that's duel with an E. Um, <laughs> production <laughs> this is, is slated. confusing as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> production is slated for later this summer. Basically, she clones herself to be around after she dies, but then she doesn't die so she has to fight her clone to the to the death listen that was actually the pitch right there they were just like look at this word duel and then look at this word duel let's let's make Isn't a movie it about up that there's that. multiple meanings it's the only word in the english language that's like that <laughs> it sounds interesting though i like karen gillen i like aaron paul i like jesse eisenberg it's it's all good i'm assuming it's gonna be like that um just dark humor just like um What's the last movie you mentioned? Art of Self Defense. Thank you. Yeah, it'll probably it'll probably be have like a humorous side to it for sure. Uh, anyway, this one's really exciting. Entertainment companies Gunpowder and Sky and Circle of Confusion have entered a deal to develop and produce film and TV projects. Deadline reports. Uh, apparently, they plan to mine writers, directors, and producers who have who have had their work released on Dust or Alter, which is Gunpowder's sci-fi and horror brands, respectively. We know Dust, of course. Alter's their horror version. 
Um, <clears throat> I have a quote here. Championing the next generation of filmmakers has always been part of our DNA. And since launching Dust and Alter a few years ago, we have curated, produced, and showcased more than 500 films on our channel, says Floris Bauer, Gunpowder and Sky president. We are thrilled to be partnering with Circle, further developing Dust and Alter IP, and... Uh, unearthing breakthrough talent from our network of diverse global creators with their track record of discovering the creators behind films and series like the matrix, the walking dead, John wick and black Panther. We hope that together we are lucky enough to build an iconic franchise or two. So this is really exciting. Honestly, like it's basically like dust is coming to theaters is basically the, the simple version of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Um, that's kind of exciting. This is like the anti it's a, an anti Hollywood kind of movement going on here um absolutely and i'm all for especially if they are be able to get on the big screen like that it's gonna be fucking sweet yeah i'm I'm definitely excited to see what they push out um and we'll obviously be following that really closely finally alex kurtzman's secret hideout which is a production company <laughs> nabs Writes to madcap sci-fi novel, The Girl Who Couldn't Move Shit With Her Mind, according to Deadline. It's a buzzy sci-fi novel that's set to be adapted for television uh, after they grabbed the rights in a very competitive situation. Alex Kurtzman, as you know, is behind the Star Trek franchise. The book is written by Jackson Ford, the pseudonym for author Robert Bufford, a South African author living in Vancouver. And it tells the story of a woman with telekinetic abilities who works as a secret government operative and was described by author Marissa Lewis as alias meets X-Men in a grimy L.A. setting. So that should be fun to see. We love Alex Kurtzman, and we'll be following that closely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, especially now that he doesn't have Hawaii Five-O to... Uh take up his massive workload oh one thing i didn't mention before with that uh with that one movie the uh the duel movie there's a hawaii 5 actor in that colin uh beola Kole. cool that's butchered i don't know who that is but Sounds maybe you know uh yeah uh. <laughs> Anyway, that does it for the news for all of the latest and greatest science fiction news. Please follow us at facebook.com slash sci-fi cross sections and on Twitter at SF cross sections. Back to you, Overlord. Thank you. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, today we are here to talk about uh, devs that just came out by Alex Garland. So, uh, for those who of you who are not familiar with his work, first off... Uh, shame on you, but uh, well, I guess in the 90s he was a novelist, um, including uh, what The Beach he did, uh, Generation X. Oh, dude, that show was awesome. That show was a total X Men ripoff. That it was such a X Men ripoff that even I knew it as a child, and I learned later in life that Marvel sued the ever living fuck out of them. And it's just, it's so funny. As they should. <laughs> but, but he also wrote the screenplays for 28 Days Later. Great movie. Sunshine. Great movie. Also look forward to us covering that in a few months here. Uh, Never Let Me Go and Dread. Um, he also did some video games. Wow. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of this, but uh, Devil May Cry. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> uh, enslaved Odyssey uh, to the West. Oh, hell yeah. Dude, ins That's a great Enslaved game. was awesome. Yeah. That it starred Andy Serkis in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I never got around to playing it, but uh, I know some of you guys have spoke highly of it. Yeah, it was a great game. Um, and then obviously he had his uh, directorial debut with uh, uh, Deus Ex. A Ex Machina? Uh, yeah, oh, fuck me. Mm-hmm. I think he did that in the episode, too. Did he? Shame on you. Yeah, did I? Okay. Um, Peace anyways, man. Ex Machina, and then he did... Uh, Annihilation. Annihilation, thank you. Uh, that was, uh, well, it was basically the follow-up to Ex Machina, and... Wow, that movie was a mind ride for sure. Uh, and then he's done this, which is his first debut with television, actually as a director and a writer. So, showrunner, showrunner, you name it, he did all of it. Producer, yeah. This was hit, like it's kind of cool to have this much control over a project. There's usually a lot of other people involved, but well, and that's the plus side of FX too. FX really like once they have a showrunner for a show, they kind of let the showrunner do their thing. Um, like just a completely off-topic situation, but like Kurt Sutter was yeah. was basically allowed to get away with murder on FX until until the mouse bought FX and he he was no longer allowed to get away with murder. So that'll be an interesting an interesting look at what changes with with the mouse and now owning them. But FX, in my opinion, has always been the best channel on television. Period. It has the movies. It's. Con- they're the most consistent. I'll I'll definitely say that. The, the- oh, yeah, and they had great shows. I mean, look back early mid two thousand. I mean, that was like really one of the f- big forays into the whole golden age of television. I feel like they were knocking them out of the park there for a while. They put out better television than HBO does more more often than not. So I would say that consistently they do. Um, the thing is, HBO I thought always shined with their miniseries. That's always where they were strongest. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but look, FX just proved that they could fucking do it too with miniseries, so. Do you want a synopsis? I would love a synopsis. All right. It's, it's, it's all right. I, I, I'm trying to keep it vague because, like, straight up, if you're like, I'm, I'm going to listen to this, this is another one of those where it's like, go watch the damn show. Because you Not because not you shouldn't be spoiled, but because, like, you won't understand a word we're about to say. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, Ben. A Russian spy infiltrates a tech company's development division and is killed when he's caught. His girlfriend begins investigating his mysterious apparent suicide and uncovers a massive technological breakthrough that gives the group called Devs the ability to project images of the past and future through quantum computing. And that's as simple as I can break it I feel it like down. Russian Spy was a few episodes in. I feel like... It came in through the wash out of the second episode about halfway through. Mm. Mm-hmm. The moment he said a word, I was like, "Oh, he's a Russian spy." <laughs> <laughs> they well, there's me, no, there's no accounting. To my computer job <laughs> listen, and steal listen, all of the secrets. I just want listen, to not understand the listen, ben. things. Listen, Ben. There's no accounting for racism. Okay, <laughs> there's just no accounting for racism. <laughs> he's white. <laughs> Nationalism? I don't know. He's Russian. I have. I have. I, I owe the enemy. Th- it's true. I owe the enemy of our state oh, okay. nothing. They, you know. 
What is it wrong, is what it Lily? Is. Did you have a bad dream? Ben, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really appreciate you talking down about my heritage like that. Okay, this is like a big day for me, and you're really bringing it down, okay? This is the part of the podcast where we all reveal to Ben that this has been the Soviet case the whole time. Ben, we're all spies. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised with how divisive well, we've been. Welcome so, to the Sputnik you know. podcast. I am your host, Yuri. <laughs> I am Vasily, <laughs> and this is my cousin Boris from Minsk. This is Nico, my cousin. We're all cousins on this show. Right. All right, enough of this joke. I am nobody's cousin. We have a lot to talk <laughs> we've about. We've got a lot to, to talk about. Did you? Did you go into so, Lupe's house? This is the Lupe's house. We have to offend every All nation right. on earth. So, so. <laughs> that's the goal. Well, we've already done <laughs> two, so this is the third. So anyway. What the fuck was that? What was what? Holy shit. That that fucking show. What 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 the oh, fuck? Was okay, let me let me start from the beginning. This is, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bill Jarvis hey, show, up? where he's going to talk for most of this. I, I feel like once we get into the deeper aspects of the show, we're not going to get out of it. So do we want to talk about, like, stylistic choices first? Yeah, it was yeah, good. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> very, very Alex oh, Garland. Oh, understand. Oh, I, I, I got two minutes into the show, and I was like, yeah, this is Alex Garland. Okay. There's no yeah. getting around it. Here's... Here's the thing, too, and I was, like, I was sitting here, like, watching through it, and I was, like, I was, like, I'd love to, like, because my whole thing is usually I'll talk about, like, the writing and the acting and the directing, and I was, like, as I was watching, I was, like, fuck all that. Like, it doesn't matter. I have a few, like, thoughts, but they mostly lean towards the negative side of it all, but, like, I would definitely, like, I just want to, I want to give more time to figure out what the fuck happened. <laughs> And then um, that's that. If I got to chime in, if we're just kind of talking our first impressions. So one thing I'll say that stuck with me throughout the whole duration here, visually, you know, very pretty, very stylized. You know, I thought generally it was really it was it was cool because a lot of the visual elements were things we really haven't seen like i thought the whole design of devs uh and its real re relationship excuse me to mathematics and mathematical concepts was kind of cool at the same time i thought the audio choices were interesting because it's very minimalist uh, there's whole stretches where there's really no sound whatsoever and then when you get music sometimes you have this beautiful choral accompaniment which is kind of meant to illustrate where you're at in that time i guess i'm sure we'll get to that but then you also have really odd like bluesy music that they bring in that sounded old but may not have been but then you also had some just really weird nails on a chalkboard like ambient stuff so like i thought that was an interesting choice because he almost went that same way with the audio as he did the visuals not to say he didn't in his films because there's a lot of that especially in annihilation to, to those of you that saw it but uh, i thought you know very striking and very alex garland right off the right off the bat right out of the gate yeah this is this is peak autourism period like uh, i've this the, if if ex machina and annihilation didn't do it this series labels alex garland as an auteur in cinema period it puts him up in the levels of Kubrick, you know, Scorsese, 
you know, he everything that he does has a style, and you could pick it out in a, in a lineup easy. Um, for me, I just want to say really quick before we do dive into it, and I, I know, like, I'm sure Mark has something to say about the style because he even brought it up. Uh, does, is anyone here a comic book reader? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Depends on do what you, kind of are, are you yeah. Are you aware of the term Bendis speak? No. Referring so, to Brian Michael Bendis? Yes, I'm referring to Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, for those of you who don't know, um, writes his comic books in a very interesting way that's supposed to come off as conversationalist and natural, but it doesn't. Um, he, he just and it's it's something he makes fun of himself about, too. He understands that it's it's, it's a weak point of his, but it's very often what happens is someone a character will say a thing the person they're talking to will repeat the thing. And then the person who said the thing will repeat the thing again. And that was so. What's the word? Uh, Obnoxious. <laughs> it was, it, it happens so much in this, in, in throughout the series that it, 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 there were some points where it really frustrated me where I was like, I, I get it. Yes. The, the future, the future, the future, the future, the future. Yes. The future. It's the fucking future. I get it. Okay. Um, Oh, I've got a, I've got one good example here. I'm not sure what this is from, but I just found it. The, here's how it goes. Here's the conversation. Nothing. You have nothing. I have nothing, nothing, nothing. I have nothing at all. It's been two days. Anyway, yeah, so. <laughs> and and then here's the other thing, and this is probably going to be controversial among all of you. I don't like Sonoya Mizuno. Mizuno? Mizuno? Sonoya really? Mizuno. I liked her a lot at the beginning. I don't like her. And when we got towards the, the last couple episodes, she felt like she was reading lines at a couple points. Yeah, and it, definitely. It was probably because she wasn't dancing around a Saturday night. Yeah, I don't That's know if you guys true. noticed, but she's uh, Mi Miyoko in... Uh... Ex Machina. Um, Ex Machina. Yeah, I just recognize the actress name. Ben. I I never really was able to latch on to her as a protagonist, and for me that became kind of a problem. I whenever Lily stuff would come about, I would kind of be like, okay, let's let's go, let's move past this. I would fast forward if I could, because I'm way more interested in everything happening at devs, and I wanna just get back to that. So that's those are my two biggest like complaints. With that being said, I love the show regardless for the most part. We'll get into it later, but uh, I, I those two those are my two big ones stylistically. If you, I can understand where you're coming from with Lily. I don't exactly feel the same way, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, I definitely, and this is this is gonna sound weird. I definitely love the um, development of uh, Stuart. Um, Oh, he's a wonderful character. Stuart. And like, so Stephen McKinley Henderson, I found this, this dude amazing. So he's going to be in Dune. He's oh, going nice. to be in Dune as, I fucking forgot the character name. It is uh, Thufir Hawat. I forget how to spell, how to pronounce that. Yeah, that's that, correct. Yeah, he's going to be the, he's going to be eyebrow dude. And like, he's, I don't know. I just, it looks so forward. He's done so much stuff. I'm, I'm looking so forward to just watching a film with him. I'm going to sit down and watch. Let's pick one, one right now. Let's, let's watch Lady Bird. We're going to watch Lady Bird and watch this man. Lady Bird was a lot of fun. I enjoyed <laughs> that. Very good a lot. In Lady Bird. Mark, was there anything specifically you wanted to mention about the style? Oh, the, uh, man, I, I loved, there was a lot to love about the style of the, the set design for the show and the, 
prop design was just outstanding. I loved the mix of minimalism and like sci-fi and tech. The whole design of the devs building obviously was beautiful and very like simple in a lot of ways, but they made every simple aspect look like it had some incredibly complex purpose of being there. Um, and the design of the com the central computer, the way that they made it look so artistic, but it it didn't look it looked so artistic in a way that looked unreal, but was like purposeful. I don't know how to describe it. It was very simple. It was, it was very clean and simple looking for what it was, and I thought well, that was really look cool. Up, if it, if you look up what a quantum computer looks like, it is actually that is what it looks like. That is what a quantum computer looks like. But at the same time, it's kind of a beautiful work of art. So it's yeah. got like it's um, I think so. It is. I know they, utilitarian uh, at the same time as it is artistic. Right. Obviously, uh, you could see all of the building blocks they used to make it were, you know, like the copper piping and the uh, insulating blocks that pull the heat off of the processors and things like that, the cooling lines. They were, everything there was like a component that would be there, but the way they designed it all looked like an art installation in a way. Actually, if you don't mind me jumping off you there, Mark, this is a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about stylistically, which is the devs building felt like a church. It was like a temple. Yes. Yeah. And the it, to me, uh, growing up Catholic, seeing the central processing unit, that made me think of like a tabernacle as like this very intricate, very like centerpiece behind the altar. Oh, absolutely. I think that was extremely intentional, too. That was yeah. part of what I kind of referenced earlier with the music shift, because you got this really weird, like, droney, ambient music in the background. And then when they first enter the devs building for the first time, it's like this beautiful choral uh, Gregorian chant music. Yeah. Like monastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. It, it and I just thought it was great. Wonderful, it created this wonderful mix of science and religion and the, like, crossing over, which is such a huge theme in it. The, the the first scene where they're showing um San Francisco and like just all this various stuff and you know uh maybe Amaya and stuff like that and they're playing like this monastic music. I was like, man, I, that's a weird weird choice, all right, what they're doing with that there. And then as soon as I saw like the devs building, like the inside, I was like, Oh, okay, that fucking makes more sense. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was beautiful and like you said, I feel like there were I think what I'll get into in a little bit, but a lot of a lot of you know, it's a very scientifically heavy show, like, and I'll get into why I think that it's more about philosophy than computers, but um, hmm. it is. It very much is. Yeah. And, um, nice, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I feel like a lot of it has a lot of religious undertones. A lot of it is religious undertones in a lot of ways. And it's very obvious in a lot of ways, but it gets kind of clouded by all the science, you know? Yeah. And I was about to say, like, in some ways, even overtones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And there's a lot of interesting alchemical kind of symbology mixed in, like the initial uh, testing table that they do their first test on that, like, pretty much just looked like this old medieval alchemical circle like with all the different objects like scattered around and the dead mouse in the center and it lighting up and having this intricate patterns drawn into it. It 
like it just created just another like speck of like the magic in like this church and science metal well something just clicked in my brain i feel really dumb that rat or mouse was forest duh okay got it <laughs> that was the test version of uh of simulation forest oh yeah because they had the, the yeah, rat or, or his family his dead oh, family oh yeah yeah that's why he needs to die. That's why he was totally okay with it, because that's the end result. He needs to die so he can jump into his little simulation. Well, honestly, if it's okay, like, this seems like a good point to say it. Y'all, I fucking... This show was fantastic up until the last episode. I... <laughs> yeah, I agree. I despised the last episode. I thought it was such absolute nonsensical bullshit i really do and like and this is coming from someone who didn't totally understand everything as it was going and kind of got better grasp of it as 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 we were going i'm not nearly as smart with this stuff when it comes to like bill but like i feel like i had a pretty good understanding of everything and and by the end of it they just kind of threw it all out the window and they were like yeah uh we're just creating a universe i was so not even like bummed i was underwhelmed i was like this is this is what you've got at the end of the line like this is the this is where you've been taking me it's it's such a bummer it really was but okay and i i liked it for the fact that it played exactly into how i thought they were building this world stylistically which is they seemed like uh forest and uh katie were like zealots of this cause of determinism of you have to do what the computer told you you were going to do and everybody has to keep on this path because that is what god told us to do and in the end you find out that it was actually all some selfish grab and they just wanted things to play out that way so they forced everyone to do it and made up all this bullshit about like making it all work Staying on the real very ways, much on the church theme of like showing absolute belief, but not actually having it. You have your own alter your alter your motives. I feel like Bill could probably explain why I hated the ending better than I can. Well, I mean, here's yep. but but really quick, I do want to say like here's the thing for me. Like you guys know me very well. I I feel like it would come as no surprise when I say that I I kind of after thinking about it for a while, and I unfortunately finished it today. I wish I had finished it earlier so I had time to process a bit better. But I kind of reject determinism, I think. You know, I don't know if that's a thing to be rejected at this point. But I, I, I don't I don't fully like the idea at the very least. It, it seems so... It seems like a surrender to forces and it seems like kind of a weak response to the universe and and all the terrible things that happen to you it just it always kind of seemed like something where it's like oh well that's what's supposed to happen whereas like no make your changes do what you have to do etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's a whole other topic that we'll get into bill why did I'm i chomping. hate the ending i'm chomping at the bit here with what you just said but i'll go <laughs> into it um so um no, that, that last episode, I feel like it was just a letdown because you really feel like there should have been some sort of like existential coming together in the in the end. And then it just feels like, well, okay, I guess we're a sim we, we're 
probably a simulation and now we're running a simulation in a simulation and then these copies of these dead people because the people are dead in this universe and we made some cool simulation copies of them which if you accept that they simulate all the particles then it is a real consciousness in there but um but like at the very end you're like thinking to yourself like like it's as if it's frustrating because it's like determinism, right? Because the very end, you're like, there's this turn of events where Lily actually makes a decision and um, changes things. And then and then Stuart comes in and nothing actually changes and everything crashes down. And then you're like, okay, so all hope is lost. And then there's this, and then there's this, I don't even know how to describe it. There's this comfort there's this attempted comfort at the end you know it's just like oh a literal deus ex machina exactly and that's a literal deus ex machina that's exactly what it is and it's like it's like this this little blankie that they try to give you like oh hey yeah this whole story happened here's the end okay like this like that it wasn't a story it was just it was just a you just walked through it. And like you said, like there's no coming together. There's no resolution, really. There's no real resolution to this. And I think that's what's so unsatisfying about it or dissatisfying about it. And I think that's the, the case with almost all Alex Garland's films, um, at least with Ex Machina and Annihilation. The, the, you know, leaving it open can be done satisfyingly, but like to, but to, but this was really unsatisfying. It wasn't a real resolution. And it was just kind of like, oh, let's muse, let's muse, let's muse for eight hours. And then I guess we're in a simulation now. <laughs> well, be cool with it. So I kind of want to bring something up here, guys, because uh, Ben touched on a little bit earlier. But I think this is a good time to interject it because I feel like this is a good... Um, I don't know, a good a segue as any into one of my problems with the show because it, it kind of ties into that last episode uh, and that lack of resolution that we're talking about. So this might be more controversial than even anything Ben said, but truthfully, I really, I enjoyed the performances of the supporting cast immensely, but I just did not care for the two leads. So the uh, actor that played Lily, I, I just did nothing for me. I didn't think she was very good, to be honest with you. And also, uh, Nick Offerman in this role was kind of one note. And I'll fuck off. I, okay, I disagree. So, no, yeah, so. hard disagree. <laughs> so I, I told the I told the bot boys this uh, right after watching it. I was like, you know, I feel like this also could have been on, been on HBO. I feel like Garland maybe pitched it to them first, but they passed on it because they saw show about. Uh, tech developers nick offerman it's a fucking comedy we don't want this well now now let me just just be fair here so now i've never seen parks and rec i've never seen nick offerman in anything um so i was going into this i mean he's not a a comedian in my mind I, i don't know his acting style so i know of him but he doesn't act any differently well that's the thing and and that was the thing no yes he does so in his comedy roles, he same delivery. Are you? Have you watched? <laughs> what the fuck are you even talking about? I gotta move away from my mic because I'm yelling. So it, it's not to say that I didn't 
like him. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't know. I just felt like the performance overall, maybe it was just his delivery or again, maybe it's just a Nick Offerman thing that I'm not getting because I'm not a fan and I haven't gotten into his previous work, but I just felt like um, that had an impact for me on the ending just because I felt like uh, the whole deterministic slant they take before they actually make the present time um, journey into that uh, floating escalator thing. Um, I don't know. I just didn't really feel like that part. And then in the end was, was sold um, well. So that was where I was kind of disappointed there. It was, I guess, a symptom of the performances. I think Nick Offerman. I think it's a symptom of the writing. Sorry to inter- interject. I think that it wasn't Offerman's fault that the ending wasn't sold. It was the writing. The, the, the script at the end was trash. The The entire way the plot went was not good. It, everything leading up to it was incredible and fascinating. And the, at the end, it was it was honestly some religious comforting bullshit. Not to paraphrase what Bill said, but, you know. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that that was kind of one of the things I grappled with a bit. I I probably would say I had two complaints, and you know that was one of them. So I knew that was going to come up at one point. I figured that was a good enough time as any to bring it up. The second for me, and you guys may agree or disagree or whatever, but with Alex Garland coming off of films and kind of telling his story in a, a two-hour time frame, I don't know if he necessarily needed the eight hour series, not to say that there was wasted time in the show or that, you know, it didn't need to be something expansive and it didn't need to be a mini series or a limited series. But I don't know if there was really enough content to at least maybe in the last two or three episodes to justify where it went. I think he might've been able to do the same thing in a tighter package, maybe, you know, six episodes, uh, just my thought again. Um, but I, I just felt like to, kind of play it out the way that it did and extend it the way it did. And then to end it, that last hour to me just was, I don't know. I think we're all in agreement there. At least the, the ones of us who have kind of piped up so far are all in agreement that the ending was disappointing. Um, but I just felt like it was such a strong few hours, especially in the middle of the show. Uh, I just feel like maybe it could have been resolved a little differently. Um, I, to be honest, during that last episode, I just started working on homework. <laughs> and just paying paying attention to it on the side. <laughs> That's how invested you were in the conclusion. Yeah, like it was really good up until yeah that that last episode. And I mean, I did love it when you know they gave all this stuff about you know determinism, and they know exactly what she's gonna do, and then she throws the gun. But then there's the whole you know bullshit of it still happens anyways. So whatever. But okay, well, um, in defense. Uh, of Nick Offerman v. Jason Schultz, I really wanted to. Uh, I would have really wanted to say that um, this man. It, see, the thing is that if anybody else played it, let, let me tell you. If you act, thought of any other actor were to be put into that role, I feel like they would have played it in a way that would have been egomaniacal, even like just just horribly disconnected billionaire tech entrepreneur. And I feel like Nick Offerman came in and kind of delivered the lines that would maybe, maybe shown a little bit of humanity in a different actor. And he really showed his humanity. And I feel like that's one of the things is that Nick Offerman could say 
it's a special thing that Nick Offerman does. He could be, you know, monosyllabic. He could be monotone. And he still somehow emotes this sort of, this sort of, I don't know, this sort of vulnerability without being vulnerable. Well, I, I don't know. I get what you're saying, he's, Bill. He's, he's soft. He has a softness to him. I mean, there are certainly moments, guys, don't get me wrong. I mean, I thought that that scene that uh, he was on the front porch of his house with uh, Jamie and they were they kind of had the the back and forth and they're playing frisbee in the street and they're kind of ruminating on events and what's going on like i thought that was great that worked for me totally but you know there were just other scenes and there were kind of incidental scenes throughout the series that just didn't i don't know they just fell flat for me and again i'm not saying i'm the you know the be all end all of uh criticizing nick offerman's acting ability obviously he's he's got a thing that works for him but just in my opinion i think it was the one-two punch of what I found fell flat for me as far as that went. And then also um, the um, lead. And again, I forget her name. What, what is it again? I, I want to at least. Uh, Sonoya Mizuno. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you guys tell me what you think there because I feel like that's, uh, you know, a, a major part I, of the story. I'll you, and I'll tell you the one casting choice that I think they slipped on was uh, for Jamie. They chose uh, Jin Ha, but instead of him, I think the, the show would have been a lot more powerful if they had gone with like Werner Herzog or something, <laughs> that would have that made a lot of sense. No, 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 We're no, 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 Developing no, no. a very complicated profession. Lily, I took the Wi-Fi thing out of the laptop so no. we can watch your boyfriend burn. Oscar Isaac. I was. He should have just gone with Oscar Isaac, like he does with and, everything and else. And you know what? That that role. Honestly, though, that role screams Oscar Isaac. It really exactly. does. And it's the character I, he writes. I, I would have to believe he tried to get him, and it just it was one of those things. He was Probably. busy filming Dune, I guarantee it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, no, you know what? Because Stuart was there, you know? Uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, and I'm sure... It's all about how was, big the role is. He's probably standing right next to Oscar Isaac the entire his, time. His scenes were already filmed and Oscar Isaac's weren't. It's... They actually film each actor in front of a green screen and then add everybody in. So Honestly, I'd believe it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, schedules didn't match up, so you're in front of a green screen today. Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I'm going to film in my apartment at noon. Uh, what a flaming piece of shit. All right, let's see. <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to talk about one scene. I feel like it was very important. Um, the scene that was like, um, you know, I'm going to compare it to another great film. Uh, you know, in Spaceballs, when they're watching the VHS <laughs> of the movie, <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. raise one hand and it's playing at the same time. Yeah, I like that scene. That was a good scene. <laughs> okay. But no, it was, <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> If I may interject while you compose yourself. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, get it together, Bill. Fuck. No, I... I. Okay, here's my thing, and I'm gonna... This is gonna be your, your time to shine, Bill. Determinism seems so stupid to me. When it really is all broken down, it, it is... And what makes it seem stupid to me is that scene specifically where I would see the one second of the future thing why not reject it why didn't lily just put a gun to uh to forrest's head when he was like oh it's almost time like why not just shoot him right there would the gun jam i know like i'm rewatching lost with with tyler my roommate 
And, like, there's a whole thing about, like, how there's a point where a character isn't supposed to die, and every time, like, someone tries to kill him or he tries to kill himself, the gun jams, the bomb doesn't blow, etc., etc., etc. It's not his time. Would that happen in the idea of determinism? Because other than that, like, it just kind of seems silly to me. Well, that's like that's like a philosophical question is that, like, given that given the assumption that something is going to happen right something is definitely going to happen i.e determinism then like you said everything in the universe if something has a zero percent chance of failing or something 100 percent has to happen like you said everything in the universe will work against it not happening and that is super dumb because, <laughs> because so, so so one of the the what i subscribe to and i think a lot of uh science currently just subscribes to and in, in uh what they call string theory um is that there are 11 dimensions and that um and that in a lot of ways these dimensions if you were to take a mi- macro look at them um kind of go hand in hand with the multi or the um many worlds theory so if you so if you look at it, and this is like if you ever if you ever have time, go on YouTube and look up Ten Dimensions Explained, and it will uh, kind of it's a really really cool thing that that they explain. I won't go completely into it, but basically the idea is that whenever a decision is made, or even when a particle moves, whenever a quantum particle moves, uh, the universe splits into a different universe, and there are infinite universes in between each universe because there are infinite ways that something could move or there's infinite decisions that could happen. And they kind of alluded to that with, um, with, uh, Lyndon's death when, uh, when he falls off the uh, bridge, um, uh, out of an act of faith. Um, and he was basically tricked, um, by Katie and falls to his death. And there's just these multiple versions of Lyndon falling down in different ways. And the basic idea of many worlds is that that's what happens. And if you watch devs, you know that, you know that idea, but, um, but that's what a lot of, um, that's what a lot of, if you were to say quantum physics, that's what a lot of quantum physics, um, has is that particles, and this is real. This has been observed. A lot of particles pop out of existence and pop back into existence somewhere else. And there's a lot of things that are inexplicable because they happen as if being interacted with with a particle that doesn't exist. And so they say, well, there, then there's something either we can't see or there's something in another dimension. So another, like, if something from the seventh dimension were to interact with something in the sixth dimension, this is what it would look like. And so, you know, like, what is the big bane? This is getting in-depth. I'm going to stop here. Here, but basically, one of the ideas when you get to the 11th dimension is that the the universe exists as sheets, if you need to visualize sheets. And every time, every time they touch each other, let's say they're incredibly close and they ripple, and every time they touch each other, another universe is born. Another Big Bang happens, and that's another beginning of a universe. And, um, and there are different conditions and different things, and they don't touch each other. But once that Big Bang happens in one, then you have, then it opens up. It opens up to all the other dimensions and all the other possibilities. So that's the sort of science that they were sort of referring to. And then when it comes to quantum computing, it was just kind of fun window dressing. It wasn't very good. It was just kind of like, oh, hey, look, uh, you know, we are going to run a simulation. Hmm, how do we run a simulation? Well, everybody knows about supercomputers, and that's passe. So how about quantum computers? And it's like, <laughs> it, 
the thing about quantum computers is that they are very good. They are very, very good at solving problems that are very specific for them. And then when you say something like, oh, we'll just run the simulation of every single particle in the universe, it, like, why does a quantum computer solve that? It doesn't in the way that I could go into how qubits work, but I won't. Um, but like, like, there's no reason that it should be a quantum computer, except that it sounds sciencey. So, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's almost like Alex Garland was just like, okay, I really, really like this physics stuff and I need something that explains it. Let's do quantum computers because nobody really knows what that's all about. So we put a quantum computer in here, say that it can simulate the entire state of the universe and we can project from the current state of the universe. It doesn't make any sense because if you don't have the data from the entirety of the universe, the entire observable universe, you can't accurately predict anything. You can't even predict three weeks into the future for the weather. It just does. It's it, it doesn't exist anyway. Sorry, I'm gonna stop doing that. So just... is that why nobody can agree on whether or not it's Berenstein Bears or Berenstain Bears? That's exactly right. <laughs> so I'm going to say that that is actually a many worlds dimension that sh right. that yeah, shoved yeah, yeah. that That's actually emerged back into our dimension, and now mm -hmm. there's a good chunk of us that are Bernstein and others that are Berenstein, yeah. In one so. trillion of the right. worlds, it's Berenstein Bears. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I can't wait until we get back to that dimension. Yeah, God, you know, you I, know what? This, any this any dimension nice at this point, any any other dimension, I don't give a shit. Yeah, this one kind of sucks. I'm... Yeah, go to the dimension where I had Chipotle for lunch today. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like instead of or the one, can we, can we the one where I do prefer Qdoba. Yes, yeah, 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 shameless uh, yeah. shameless plug. As long as we're doing corporate fake. Mexican, yeah. That's good. But I'm going to say I, I have another uh, philosophical point after we have a breakdown here. You guys, whoever wants to talk, go ahead. Someone tell Billy's wrong. <laughs> Do it. No, I mean. The many Bill's interpretation. I mean, so, go, go ahead. I, I don't have a, much of a working knowledge of quantum computing, but I thought it did make sense. Because... It was all about probability, and they were trying to lower that probability down to something finite. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought this up because there is a computer scientist, quantum computer scientist with the last name. His name is Dr. Aronson. Um, he actually gave his two cents about this. He was talking about it, and he basically said what I was saying. Um, about everything that was happening. And, and I understand what you're saying about probability because it's like probabilistic, this will happen, maybe there's a higher chance of this happening here. It's very, you know, that's what makes it palatable. That's what makes it so that you're like, well, quantum means, you know, quantum means things exist in the same state, you know, that a particle can be on and off or that at the same time, you know, some sort of this probability of existing in a certain way. But one of his points was that the plot of the series is basically you could swap out quantum computer. You could you could explain this entire series to uh, a Greek philosopher from 3000 years ago. I think that's exactly what he said. He said a Greek philosopher from 3000 years ago, you could explain it as long as you take quantum computer and you switch it out for a Delphic Oracle. 
you could say Oracle or quantum computer. You can swap them out, and you will be able to predict, and you will be able to project, that sort of thing. So it's like it, it really was just kind of a techno babble thrown in there, and I think Alex Garland would you know readily admit that because he he did, I think. I don't know. I don't have that, but he um he definitely stated that he isn't you know an expert on any of this and none of these are actually new ideas that's what he said he was just like none of this is actually new ideas i just thought they were really cool so i think that was really cool and humble of him to say something like that i mean it also takes the the fan base that would go "Mm, that's how that's not how this works i am completely removed from this like if, but if he if he admits that up front, I feel like that is a oh yeah, almost like a removal of well, he's just don't having fault me for this. <laughs> he's having fun with some themes that obviously he cares about. I mean, everything I oh, think yeah. that was brought up in the show, you can tell Garland has a soft spot for. I mean, he's interested in this stuff. He is doing his best to, you know, frame a story that works around these concepts and kind of makes sense or you know at least grapples with them mm-hmm. which i mean right. i respect because again none of us except what? bill are experts in uh you know quantum mechanics and <laughs> i am not an expert well, the, in the quantum mechanics is, is uh, i saw I a video saw one a quote, time quote on this and alex garland said you know when you know he has free time he reads and what does he read he reads science and he's not approaching it like a scientist you know, who actually goes through, you know, trial and error and experimentation and all that. Does hard work, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he he just, you know, like us, we're fans of science. We look at shit and go, oh, that's pretty fucking cool because Brian Cox (laughs) or, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson told us how it works. And we go, oh, I get it. But we don't actually fucking know how it works. That's the same thing that's applied here, but he at least did his research enough that he could write about it and make it interesting, so... That's exactly right. I think you're exactly right on that. And that's what Alex Garland does. He's just like, this is a cool concept, but let's. what's the human story behind it? It, it? The same thing Christopher Nolan applies, you know, to shit. It's... Right. Well, I like it. I mean, a lot of this is just like... A lot of this... And like you said, you guys called me an expert. I am not an expert. Actually, someone... You're the resident expert. There's it's, going to be it's a, a resident it's expert. A it's like how I'm the resident weeb. I'm yeah. just... Yeah, exactly. Or the resident hentai expert. But um, I was going to say... Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot. That's me. Um, so I was going to say is that... Um, is that I feel like the audience, I think Mark was saying earlier... Um, the audience for, of people who are super into quantum mechanics, I feel like it's pretty small. So I think it would be fine. <laughs> I don't think he has to worry about that. <laughs> I think we could we could, we could could be marginalized and we'd be fine. Um, but no, no, I mean, this is a good movie to muse about. Um, but a lot of it is mostly about um, determinism and making decisions. You know, do we actually make decisions for ourselves or was it already determined before us? And I feel like in my mind it's, the thing is that, like, when I talk about the many worlds theory, is that you have made all the decisions and you will make all of the decisions. They just don't exist in your current reality. So you're already making all the possible decisions and you've already made all the possible decisions that branched off into different places. But in that, in that way, it is deterministic, but not in our experience of life. So in our experience of life, we can choose whatever we want to do. But I guess you could say that from the Big Bang to the end of the universe, all the possibilities are already there. It popped into existence, and that's where we are. But we're experiencing it in order. 
we're experiencing it in our you know forward moving timeline which is not necessarily forward moving in some places so this is kind of relates it, but one of the things I love about history is, you know, as things are happening, it seems chaotic and random, but it's when you look at it 50 years later, everything made sense. Everything was a reaction to what happened before it. And I feel like that's kind of a good way to support and in a way determinism, but not really, but. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a very good when, point. When you look back at things, everything happened because it reacted to the thing that happened before it. Hindsight well, I mean, is this all, this right? all strikes me as very, you know, back to the future, right? Back to the future is kind of an exercise in determinism. I mean, the time travel and that is dubious at best, but they go back and every, it's all a domino effect. I mean, this goes back, you know, especially in back to the future part two, where, um, you know, you can de directly see, uh, the, the results, um, in 1985 from, Biff taking the sports almanac back to uh, 1955. It's all, all of that's determined. You could argue that it's just another existence that exists. Uh, granted, it's a, a dramatically different one, um, but it's still, it, it's still a timeline that exists. And, and it's almost like, like you were saying, like all the possibilities exist. And then now we're just seeing what that looks like under a microscope. So I, I like, I hear you Miller, but like, yes, I think it, it determinism gets really silly when you could see the future. Am I wrong here? Like, it, no, I mean, it, at that point it doesn't work because all it is, is you're saying like the moment you can see, in the moment you can see your fate, you can choose to reject it. But, um, and then, and then Stuart comes in to kind of be the wrinkle and all of that saying that, well, if you reject what is already laid out, like, yes, you do have a choice. However, the universe will correct physics will correct. And, and that was Stuart doing what he, he was doing was when she rejected it, when she threw the gun out, when, she didn't shoot Forrest and the vacuum seal wasn't broken and the magnetic field didn't fail. Stuart final destination, right? Stuart decided to make it fail anyway, because sure. that's what, because he felt that that was right. And so you could argue that like determinism exists in that fashion, I suppose. But then in like small stuff where he's like, Forrest had once used a, an example of like, well, if you're crossing your, if you see yourself crossing your arms and you decide to keep your hands in your pockets for that whole minute, what happens? And, and I think it's just such a silly idea when you can actually see what's coming. It's the idea that we are bound by some magnetic force of fate that's just predetermined our entire lives is i don't know I, I it comes off as and this might seem harsh it comes off as kind of weak to me it's a kind of weak person's argument well i would i would say i would say the problem is that um when we say that our universe is deterministic right um is that the basic idea is that cause cause causes effect right and sure. so when you and if you accept that there's one timeline, there's not many worlds and you look into the future, you've reversed causality. 
and that is uh, that is a that would be that would break determinism. If you're able to see into the future and yet you still have to do the same thing that you saw happen, that breaks determinism because cause have to, has to affect effect or cause has to cause effect. And so when you have something that is a an effect of what is happening now and you observe that effect and it affects the cause, that's a huge paradox, i.e. it can't happen. In, in a scientific philosophical terms, it just can't happen, which means that, you know, this would not be determinism. It would be many worlds, which we find out is true in the series, is that that is what happens, is that, you know, strongly, strongly everyone makes the predicted future happen but at the same time we know that there are many worlds because that's what worked in the simulation yeah and at the end and of the so, day it is yeah, just so, a simulation it's not like they're actually seeing into the future exactly this is exactly the, the that best as well. approximation of what was going to happen and it was obviously flawed because it couldn't fully tell what lily was going to do I also feel like that's very, very specifically why they touch on quantum mechanics for a moment when they sh they go back to her university and she's in the lecture, and they're talking about quantum mechanics. I feel like it... Obviously, they had just that small segment to talk about any particular set of information, and that was what they chose, and I feel like that was, you know, to lead to this. Matt, Matt I wanted to talk about what you just said, because you, uh, you said that it failed to predict that, and in actuality, it did exactly what it was designed to do, because because Lyndon came in and, and decided to do it by the model of many worlds. And so it did exactly, it said it, you know, it showed a simulation of best approximate, like you said, but it didn't show the exact thing, but that would also break determinism as well. And I think that's one of the points is that they were making is that we could never live in a place that's, or in, in the case of our universe, be completely deterministic. And a lot of, a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, when it comes to, philosophy of um it's actually philosophy of com computation because computation relies on causality um is that uh chaos theory is when chaos theory basically says that if you have <laughs> if you can't tell what's happening within a state chaos will ensue so if you can't tell what's happening within an atom you can't possibly predict what it's going to happen that's or my boy or a very, very small change within that state will cause a tiny, tiny change in that state will cause some sort of chaotic effect. And so that's what that's what chaos theory is, is that like you can't predict the things that you don't know about or the things that are not even possible to know. So like when many theories or, you know, man, many worlds theory, we say, you know, there are things outside of our current universe and timeline and possibility that affect our universe, such as particles popping in from a different timeline and popping out of existence, which happens. Um, that's where they they the theory says it comes from, but things popping in and out of existence like that and moving in a way that kind of determine or kind of indicates that something is affecting a particle kind of says, kind of says that this is chaotic. We don't know what's going on here. We have a best approximation. And so since we can't, since everything on the quantum level is chaotic, then shit's going to happen. <laughs> But no, Matt, Matt, I, I believe I understand what you were saying. Yeah. Plus, didn't is that Linden, if, like they were watching Lily die before Lyndon made the changes, too. Yeah. 
exactly and you're right you're right it's that like that was the that was what they thought was going to happen but the universe decided otherwise you know exactly. i watched i watched a really interesting lecture on chaos theory once uh i think the professor was dr ian malcolm <laughs> and he had yeah he yeah, had, yeah no you're thinking of knuckles chaotix <laughs> no knuckles chaotix that's that's the water the water changes course <laughs> all right well you spit in game in that scene i just want to say yeah, oh yeah oh yeah I uh oh he threw it so he threw it so fucking hard and it, he didn't win. It's all good. At the end of the day, uh he got half eaten by a dinosaur and that's what it. happened to the other half. But that's still it, honestly. Leftover. Like it created a second Jeff Goldblum. I f I, I honestly <laughs> I honestly feel that in like chaos theory where it's like determinism in this, in, in, in Alex Gargamon's, whether he was, whether he was making an argument or whether he was telling a story of humanity, I, I can't say one way or another, but if he was making an argument, he didn't win me over. I think it's all kind of silly at the end of the day. That's I a good don't, point. I, I don't think, think so Alex Garland's trying to make a statement. I think he's just having fun and writing a cool story of a theory he thinks is cool. I Sorry, believe that. I've always, I've, I've never really enjoyed the um, concept of determinism, uh, but there, in in doing a little bit of research after hearing and after watching this, there are communities of people who reject the idea that determinism relies on there being a lack of free will. There are like communities who believe that they can coexist in a way that determinism is more the use of the information that essentially narrows down the possibilities of what a person would do based on you know their prior life happenings uh, rather than it being yeah. like a finite thing of being able to determine exactly what's going to happen based off of what has happened it's more like which is basically many worlds yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Um, man, guys, I feel like we could probably talk about the science all night. <laughs> the well, the yeah. science. Well, I had one, I had one more thing I wanted to bring up, um, kind of a different topic though. So it's not really what we've been talking about, but I don't think we're going to do another half hour dive into it. But, uh, I mean, all things aside with the many worlds and kind of some of the philosophical implications of it, the, the one philosophical question that it kind of posed at the end, which was actually probably the only thing I really enjoyed about the conclusion of this. And, uh, you know, I, hopefully you guys have an opinion on this. It actually echoed one of my favorite sci-fi properties of recent years, which I know no one else has, uh, I won't even say uh, how you would consume it cause I don't want to spoil it, but I'm just going to try to talk about it in vague terms. But that whole idea of, um, consciousness and what consciousness actually is. And in the end, you know, the, the main, I guess, characters in our story being transported into this machine and be processed as part of the system, um, but also having the knowledge of their previous lives. Are they actually alive? I mean, for all intents and purposes, yes, if they have their memories, right? But I thought they made some interesting um, points earlier in the series as well, talking about how, well, if one 
strand of hair on my daughter's head is different. It's not my daughter, you know, so that type of thing. I mean, really vague. I definitely couldn't break it down in as succinct terms as I think Bill uh, has been talking about some of the other stuff that we brought up tonight. But I just thought that was an interesting question that it posed at the end because it seems like, oh, everything's okay. You know, um, there's the the scene which I actually thought was pretty good between uh, the the two main characters at the end where you see it flash really fast in between all of these potential worlds. So I think in one of them, it's nighttime. Uh, in one of them, you know, the, the family isn't there. So I think... Um, I know that Forrest's character says, well, we're, we're in we're in one of the good worlds, so you should be happy about that, even though you're actually dead in the life that you knew and you have the knowledge of that. So I just thought it was, it was kind of interesting. Are, are these still conscious entities? Is this still their consciousness that's now transferred on into a digital realm or are they just simulations? I, I don't know. Oh, boy. Oh, here's, boy. Wait, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jason. That's a, that's a mouthful, Jason. Oh, boy. Hey, I'm chomping at the beer. <laughs> Jason, here's the thing. I'm flesh and blood, and I'm not even alive. So I don't... <laughs> that's a good point. I'm, I'm dead inside, and, and every day is a struggle. So, sure, yeah, they're, they probably, they're probably good. <laughs> I won't go it sounds on. like you have a magnesium deficiency, Ben. <laughs> I'm not going to go on a two-hour lecture about this, but, like... Um, I'm working on something that talks about exactly this, and the idea is that you, when it comes to consciousness and the mind, you have to think of it as a functional system, and I will expand on that in other venues. Uh, is that a bonus no, episode? No, 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 no. I mean, I, <laughs> so what I really wanted to, um, what I really wanted to talk about is functionalism, which is a huge aspect of a bonus episode on our patreon that we're starting um and i uh and i go in depth into artificial intelligence the mind the body everything like that and um and i present an idea that is very very cool i think and i think that you should definitely look it up or um or uh subscribe to our patreon oh boy we got a patreon we're official now we're a real podcast. We're now we're making the them real bucks. Just shut up and give me your money. <laughs> but now no, I mean, bill. I mean, I mean, do we want to talk about this? I mean, do it, what, are, I, what are the plans I, well, about this? I mean, I, I, that's that's yeah, why yeah, I brought it, it up, because I definitely would be curious to see what everyone's thoughts are on it. I mean, again, you know, without saying it, I don't want to say what the property is, because by saying what it is, it's a spoiler. But this same exact topic was brought up in probably one of my favorite modern science fiction things. And it was really interesting. And it really made me think about it, because when you think about uh, consciousness transferred to you know something that isn't a flesh and blood vessel you know it's not another entity that is uh is living and breathing per se but it has all the traits of what that person was when they were living and breathing does consciousness carry on i mean i, th I think it's interesting so again i'm just pondering it but i definitely would like to hear what your thoughts are on it i i, I want bill to say what he's got to say but i mine is much shorter and less complex i operate on a basic 
humanity first policy. If you are not a flesh and blood human, I do not give a shit about your life. Yeah, fuck you. Or your existence. Goddamn AI If you bastards. are a, an AI sentient bullshit whatever, you're going to be decommissioned. You're going to be hunted down. You're going to be shot because we don't care about you. We care about our food. We care about our water. We care about our oil. And that's all it is. Humanity first. Vote for Benjamin Young for president 2028. Thank you. Good night. You can't do that. What? You wouldn't be old enough. Wait, when when am I turning 35? I don't know. It's 45. It's 35, you dipshit. I didn't take a civics class. I was homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not true. <laughs> Wait, the civics class or the homeschool? Uh, I don't homeschool either. Part? I don't know. No, I am... Um... So flip a coin and it's if it lands on its edge, I'm telling the truth. Yeah, but cool. is that deterministic? Yes. Okay. We're getting uh, <laughs> talking about my favorite non-sci-fi property here for a second about I, uh, determinism. Um, we're not going to do that. You can go. Yeah, I was going to say we're not going to do that. So Ben, I uh, wanted to uh, say that um, you've really marginalized a segment of our audience, i.e., the robot audience that is now not going <laughs> okay, to download right. our podcast. Right. Yeah, I was going to say all the listen. Uh, do androids? All do, the bots and, are downloading the do podcast. Androids dream of sci-fi like, cross sections. Who fucking cares? Because they're androids. That's exactly. Oh, okay, there goes ninety percent of your downloads. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what we say. Actually they have will a, a stable source of income, and they want to uh, <laughs> they want to subscribe to our Patreon. Then Androids, you do you. Unless it's Android eighteen. Yeah, determinism. Uh, it's already happened. And you know what? We'll plug the Patreon at the end. But I wanted to talk about functionalism. Do it. So so okay, real quick. So one of the ideas of um of the mind and brain uh, is that the mind is a function of the brain. There used to be the idea that the mind existed outside of the brain as if in a different realm outside of space and matter. So there used to be this idea that there was, um, and you know, and you know what, according to your beliefs, that's fine. You can have, you can have a soul that's, that lives, exists outside. But um, for, you know, my purposes, it, there is a, um, there is this idea right now for this argument that functionalism is that the mind is a function of the brain, that there is a large, complicated communication between different parts of the brain and the, your personality, who you are, everything about you, your thoughts are, uh, uh, are a manifestation of the complex behavior of your brain. Now, the idea of functionalism is that if you were to take that brain, right, you were to take little Billy Jarvis, age 29, and you were to take his brain and replace it with something, we call it a black box. If you were to take a black box, you don't know how anything inside of it works. But if you input these senses and, you know, you have these senses here, this uh, sight, smell, taste, touch, uh, whatever the other one is, um, and uh, it's hearing. Um, <laughs> you put all this in, and this reaction comes out, then it doesn't matter what that black box is made of. The function is the same. So you put these senses in, and this response comes out. Do we care what's in the box? Do we care what's happening in the box? It could be gears. It could be uh, semiconductor, semiconductive you know, circuits. It could be uh, brain tissue. It could be brain cells, cells, neurons, and synapses. And 
that could be the case. But any in any way, the function of that black box is Bill. The function of that black box is Ben. You know, that is what it is. You know, something is de- not defined by... Something is not defined by the materials it's made of. It's defined by the functions that it performs. And, um, and you know, that's that, that might be a sticking point for some people, but that is a, a one way of um, talking about the brain. And I think we talked about that previously, about dualism and monism. We talked yeah. about that previously. We, we have. And, right. And so this, this is a very monist behavioral idea that you – get one thing and you get stimulus and you get reaction out which is kind of a deduct uh reductive which is kind of a reductive way of um of talking about the brain because of what we know about cognitive science and cognition and neuroscience but at the end of the day it really is what it's all about is that you get this stuff in you get this stuff out if you can't see the brain behind the you know behind the skull at every single point in time then it doesn't matter what's in the brain as long as the behavior is the same. Yeah, no, gotta be human or die. So wait, 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 wait. I like Fair this. Enough. I like Bill's. I like Bill's thing because that means my girlfriend from Canada does exist. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she just goes to a different school. Exactly. When 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 I send a text, uh, I can show you guys a response. That's all that matters. See? Oh shit! That, yeah. You know, in functional. In functionalism, that is true. That is true. As long as as long All as right, it's equivalent, we've. That's actually a very good refutation of. Uh, I think things. we've hit <laughs> enough uh, scientific theories on the head tonight. Uh, man, I did not think it was going to go that deep, Bill. But hey, it's. I'm sorry. Hey, man, it, I it did. Was I knew it. it. I knew it. Uh, <laughs> so now I'm going to take us around this virtual table. And we're going to do good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. I'm going to start with Mark today. Oh boy. Uh, good sci-fi. I... Whenever we can get this much of an in-depth discussion out, obviously uh, they've done something right. And for the most part, we really enjoyed what Alex Garland and his team has done, um, especially visually and sonically, uh, it just blew me away. All right. Thank you, Mark. Jason. Yeah. So basically, um, again, I think good sci-fi, uh, Thank I you, say Jason. great sci-fi just for the ideas. I'm kind of with Mark there on anything that elicits that much discussion from us, uh, that we get that passionate about. I think it, you know, that's that's what it is right that's why we do it that's that's why we discuss this stuff and that's why we love it so much so on that front uh great i i think as a a series or as like a statement i think it was a little looser than what i was hoping for from garland i know that i absolutely love ex machina i love annihilation so i i know it's not fair to compare his films to this because obviously this was something different uh but i i thought this was a little bit a little bit rockier in some regards than what his other output has been but i still thought it was great if you know for nothing else than just the ideas and the the spectacle and um just his willingness to go there which i think is as ben said earlier you know he's an auteur and it's great to see that especially in the science fiction realm so 
definitely good sci-fi. Uh, very happy with what it explored as far as the uh, its quality, I guess, as a piece of art or as a show or as a movie or film or whatever story. Uh, I think could have been a little bit better or maybe could have been a little different in the ending, but overall solid. All right. Thank you, Jason. Going on to Matthew. All right. I'm, I'm going to say it's great sci-fi. It's, uh, it may have used some jargon loosely, but it definitely, they tried to stick to some themes and throw enough like sciencey stuff into it and use that as a basis for character development. And it raised a lot of good questions. The show itself was just phenomenally put together. It was just run beautifully, I think. And I, though I do feel the end was a little less, okay, yeah, it definitely wasn't a satisfying ending, but I don't hate it as much as some of you guys. I think it in its own way kind of gave me some other thoughts on the entire show. Uh, that's it, yeah. All right, thank you, Matthew. Ben Young. Decent sci-fi, a decent series uh, that was hampered by a terrible ending. I think that while I'm not the smartest person in the world, I can grasp onto ideas pretty easily, and I think determinism is a, is a stupid idea. Um, I, I, I understand that by the end of it that they were trying to sell us on that fact, that determinism was stupid, but... I think for a show that kind of ham like kind of hung a lot of its concepts on the idea and tried to explain humanity through it for for me as someone who wants his sci-fi to make him feel human and and make me kind of feel alive it, it I was really kind of disappointed especially by the end of it so uh definitely Alex Garland's weakest in my opinion I haven't seen Annihilation yet but his weakest but uh, still decent, and I still enjoyed my time up until the end, so. All right, thank you, Ben. Uh, we're going to go with Bill Jarvis. What a flaming piece of shit. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I like it. Um, I liked it. I thought it was really cool. I thought it made me, you know, obviously it made me go on and on and on about shit, which I love anything that makes me do that. So um, I got to espouse my philosophical ideas and uh talk about this so i thought it was really cool really good sci-fi i think it's definitely worth a watch if you're uh, looking for something a little heady i think it's really 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 cool um just don't watch the last episode that's all <laughs> there you go there you go <laughs> all right uh thank you bill and andrew hey hello yes uh, him uh i i um i it didn't grab me um i mean the sci-fi aspect is there and that's all well and good. But I mean, the, the show as a whole just kind of, it didn't grab me. I mean, I would agree with Ben that this is probably Alex Garland's weakest work. Also having not seen Annihilation. Um, it's definitely not my uh, favorite in terms of um, uh, artwork depiction, uh, depicting uh, determinism. Um, but I mean, it, it's fine. Sci-fi, you know, it's, it's got, it's got a lot of the, uh, the elements of sci-fi that you want. So there you go. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, hey. Last but not least is the lovable sci-fi boy. Um, this was good sci-fi. I enjoyed it. Um, he clearly did his research enough to write uh, competently about it. Um, we've obviously seen some really bad sci-fi on this podcast. So 
Uh, I thought it was good sci-fi, though. The show itself, sci-fi or not, had me hooked the entire time. Um, like, the, the end of every episode, I was like, fuck, what happens next? Um, except for that last episode, I, like I said, I kind of tuned out, but, um, I don't think it devalues the show all that much, so, uh, good sci-fi, good show, and I do recommend, uh, you watch it if you listen to this entire fucking podcast and haven't watched the show yet. You gotta stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's like, you're kind of spoiling a lot of shit for yourself. Oh, even though, I will say, there's a lot of things that we did not spoil about this show, and you could probably still watch it and enjoy it. So. There you have it, folks. Uh, that is our take on the show Deus. I mean, devs. Um, oh God, nice still joke. Hate that. Still hate that. Yeah. Um, it was a little um, corny. We get it, Alex Garlic Bread. You speak Latin. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about that sentence sucked. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's perfect. Um, oh, okay. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Ben, what can people do on Sunday evenings? On Sundays, you can watch a bunch of idiots play Dungeons & Dragons every uh, Sunday night, 5 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv slash onceuponatavern underscore between the words. That's once underscore upon underscore a underscore tavern. I didn't make it. Don't yell at me. <laughs> and Bill, yes. what can people do if they want just... Uh, they just they don't have enough sci-fi cross-sections in their life. They just, they want something more. Like, we, we finish the conversation, they go, oh, that was a good conversation. Fuck, I gotta wait a week for the next one. Alright, sounds good. What and do do? Uh, I have, some, uh, you know, I think I announced it earlier, but I'm gonna give myself a little drum roll. You guys wanna do a sonically displeasing drum roll? Fantastic. Uh, so we have... <laughs> So we have uh, we have started a Patreon, which um, if you don't know, Patreon is a way of supporting your favorite content and content producers. Everything that we make off of the Patreon will be invested back into the show with equipment, software, and other stuff. We still have day jobs, so don't worry about that. Um, if you want, we have. I actually don't. Just heads up. Um, <clears throat> we're st we're all working on day jobs <laughs> in general. Ah, <laughs> oh, fucking COVID. But uh, so sci-fi. So if you go to bit .ly forward slash sci-fi patreon that is bit.ly forward slash sci-fi patreon you can um do a the sci-fi supporter it would be just two dollars per month and then you'd be able to support the show and then there are other tiers on top of that where you can get bonus content that i am producing every month i'm going to do two episodes this month because i'm amazing and then i'm doing once per month which is if you liked anything in this episode you definitely want to check it out and we will have tons of more content coming from all over the uh, the realm of our little sci-fi circle here. Uh, Bill has just been kind enough to get that ball rolling for us, but got plenty more. And last but not least, Andrew. You can listen to my girlfriend and I talk about X-Files. We are uh, currently in the midst of COVID-19, so you really have nothing better to do than uh, restart a 20 or a 30-year-old series. Shut up. Um, we uh we just uh we just um posted the uh second uh the coverage of the second episode of the X-Files on uh there's something up there Rachel um we're a, an X-Files uh podcast we don't go uh quite as long as uh sci-fi cross sections does i think we're going to keep uh the episodes to about 30ish minutes uh but it's a good time you know there's some good analysis there um 
and you can hear me continue to talk. Guys, what's this? Right into your ear holes. What's this COVID business you're all talking about? Yeah, uh, don't worry about it. We'll explain it when you're older. But you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and on uh, Facebook.com slash uh, There's Something Up There, Rachel. Back to you, Colin. All right, folks, that is all we have for you tonight. Unless anyone has, anyone has any of the plugs? Let me out of here. Yeah, I was going to say, all stop right. the plugs. You all, get, you all boys get the fuck out of here. Uh, until next time.